Welcome to the podcast, Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where I connect authors with their readers. We also talk all about the author's inspiration, their journey to publication, and the authors will educate me and you, the listener, all about the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter, also known as The Author's Librarian. This podcast episode of The Authors of the Pacific Northwest is proudly sponsored by Mark Dawson's Self-Publishing Formula 101. The Self-Publishing Formula 101 is an extensive course that I have taken where you learn everything you need to know from the moment you type the end on your manuscript. It has over 30 hours of straightforward video guides to take out all the guesswork of self-publishing your own work. Um, It gives you tons and tons of information, so I highly, highly endorse Mark Dawson's Self-Publishing 101 formula. It's suitable for beginners and intermediate level, and even advanced self-publishing authors will find tons of resources. It only launches two times a year, so get on my show notes on my website and follow the link so you can sign up for interest if you're interested in Mark Dawson's 101 self-publishing formula, which is a proud sponsor of this episode. Now to the show. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And in this episode, I have the privilege of um, having a special guest on, and we'll talk a little bit about how we met. But first, let me introduce you to him. So his name is Wolf Ulrich. Did I say it right, Wolf? Almost. (laughs) Um, Tell us how to pronounce your last name. Ulrich. See, I knew I messed it up. Um, So Wolf, say hello to everybody on my podcast. Hello, everybody. (laughs) So this is a pretty exciting episode for me because I met um, Wolf from the um, presentation that I had done with the um, self-publishing conference that you guys all heard me talk about. And what we did is when I did my presentation, we offered um, a guest appearance on my podcast for somebody that would be interested. And Wolf was the one that got selected. So I'm super excited to meet um, Wolf because we actually saw, talked in email a lot. And I'm really excited about his um, books as well. So so Wolf, why don't we start out a little bit about, tell us a little bit about yourself first. Where are you residing? What part of the world? Uh, I'm in a little town you probably never heard of. It, it's been in the news lately because of CES, Las Vegas. Ah, okay. A little town. <laughs> That's funny. Not so little. Okay. So great. So you're still kind of I mean, on the West Coast. <laughs> we only get 40 million visitors a year. That's nothing. Yeah, and you have the new the new beautiful uh, stadium that I have to come visit because my husband's a, a football fan. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, he loves that. Well, but the uh, Raiders aren't doing that hot. You really should uh, no, do hockey for this town. Oh, uh, see, yeah, I'm I'm kind of over the football season. If anybody listens to my podcast, you know, I talk a little bit about football. Um, I'm a Seahawks fan, so this year's a bad year for us too. So I'm just like, I'm over it. I'm done with the season. <laughs> it's all good. Okay, so Wolf, tell us a little bit of background about you. Have you always been an author? Is this a full-time thing for you? Tell us a little bit about your story. Well, I wouldn't say always. I started writing well, really early. I would do little comic books since I was around six. I put out my first newsletter in fifth grade. 
So, so nice. and and back then, of course, it was the really hard way, you know, with those <laughs> machines where you hand cranked out individual pages with those matrices. So that was kind of fun. And then, you know, once you get into uh, work life, it kind of you you run out of time for it. But um, I basically quit my cybersecurity job and started writing full time pretty much 2011. Oh, that's and, fantastic. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it required yeah, so no. a lot of sacrifices. But you know that the advantage of computer jobs is you can build up a nest egg that you can mm-hmm. live on. And the books are just starting to get traction. You know that it takes a long time to to break into the industry. Well, yeah, for, yeah. for most people. For most of us, yeah. Well, what's really interesting, Wolf, is you probably don't know this. I mean, you know me as the author's librarian from um, the presentation that I did. But I actually have a background in IT as well. Um, I am a full-time professor for online university in IT, and I help students get all of their certifications and their bachelor's degree. And I did have students in cybersecurity, but now I'm in basic, the BSIT program, which is the basic um, IT program. My background's in SQL and um, database management. And so I could have gone and did the six-figure jobs and all that kind of thing. And then, um, but I ended up staying in the library science aspect of it. Um, my whole background was creating database for libraries. You know, the oh. digital the digital revolution came along, right? And so I jumped on that as fast as I could. So, um, so I think we have a really interesting backgrounds together, but I'm not an artist, so <laughs> I wouldn't claim anything like that. Do you, so would you claim that your genre is um, comic and is that where the genre is for your books? Well, uh, Cyberspiracy, as you kind of can tell from the name, came. It there is kind of a agenda behind it, mm-hmm. in that if you look at the last thirty years, the numbers of uh, college graduates in STEM, you know, science, technology, mm-hmm. engineering, and math have not budged at all in mm-hmm. this country and worldwide, but it's it's particularly bad here. So men outnumber women by uh, three to one. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, I know and this that, to be true. <laughs> that despite hundreds of programs and mm-hmm. initiatives and nothing has changed. And I had kind of, my guess is about why that would be, you know, being a storyteller, you kind of always think of story and the power of storytelling. You know, a lot of ad companies know that Coca-Cola mm-hmm. and so on, they, they make these little stories. And, and you, you have anecdotal evidence like, you know, the after, after Top Gun came out, sales of Ray-Bans went up 50%. And it wasn't even the main feature of the, uh, movie it was just product placement yeah, and if exactly you, if you've seen the queen's gambit mm-hmm. which, which the I numbers <laughs> in chess are even yes. worse than in tech if you can imagine that there's almost no girls in chess when i was in high school i don't think my chess club had any girls at all and i and, would i would probably that's probably true <laughs> and, and, and there really is no reason for it mm-hmm. because i mean 
Chess, in fact, is probably the most algorithmic game there is. That's why computers like Deep Blue can beat grandmasters because you can calculate every possible move out and yeah. you know how it's going to play out. You, know, the, yeah. you yeah. saw that in, in, the, in the miniseries that when they grandmasters play, they just, the beginning, they just move boop, 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 because yeah. they've yeah. memorized every move and what the consequences are. Yeah. So yeah. If, if you can handle a computer, you can handle chess. I mean, a lot of computer people play chess, me included. So after that miniseries was watched by, what, 73 million people, the number of women in chess in this country went up tenfold, tenfold. Okay, from a minuscule basis, <laughs> but that's the impact that stories can have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we don't use it. No, yeah. we don't. Yeah, if, yeah. Especially um, uh, CES has this... Um, this series going on right now that's being uh, broadcast virtually because uh, many of the venues shut down where they talk about uh, women in tech. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's done by their uh, equality sponsor, which they kind of had to get to years ago. And they, in fact, one of the women on there said that 90% of jobs nowadays have a technical component, which for mm -hmm. most parts means computer component. Mm -hmm. So if you don't get into computers, you're kind of shutting yourself out of your future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but many women are discouraged from it, girls in particular. And my theory is it's because they don't see themselves mm -hmm. in that mm -hmm. field. Mm -hmm. And I, exactly. that, that was all guesswork until the Gina Davis Institute on Women in Media released a study a couple of years ago where 82% of the girls and women said that it matters seeing women STEM characters on television. Yep. Oh, it's true. It's true because I can tell you when I was a little girl, um, I never saw anything with women in technology of any kind. I was fortunate that my dad loved technology. And at that time, it was ham radio operator. And he loved technology. And he bought the first computer in our house. And he never discriminated. You know, he let me play with it. So but in, in school, I never saw a lot of technology for women as role models. Um, and I can tell you from being a woman, the first place that we often will get discouraged in the STEM aspect is in math. When we're younger in math, some of us don't pick up math as fast as boys do. And so we are told at that point that we're, we're not, you know, we're not as smart as the guys. And, and then it kind of just compounds from there. Yeah. At least that's been my experience. And I've overcome that. So gratefully, I've overcome that. But not every woman has been able to. And, and, and it is an absolute shame because it's not true. I mean, mm -hmm. of course, some people are bad in mass and some people are good in mass, but it has nothing to do with gender. Mm -hmm. I mean, why, why should it to begin with? It's, exactly. it's kind of a random thing. But we now have the PISA studies, tests yeah. taking every few years by hundreds of thousands of students. So statistically, they are unquestionable. They, they, they basically, uh, I mean, it is, and guess what? For both genders, the curve is a normal distribution. 
Yep. There are some yep. girls that are terrible in math. There are some girls that are excellent in math. Absolutely. There are some yep. boys that are terrible in math. There are some boys that are excellent in math. It's not a gender thing. Yep. Some yep. people are good at math, some are not. And here's yep. a thing that, I mean, it's anecdotal. It doesn't even mean much. But in none of the PISA tests, a girl has ever had the lowest score in math. It's always been a boy. Now, in fairness, <laughs> the highest score was always a boy, too. But you're yeah. talking a few points out of a thousand point range. It, it means yeah. nothing. For yeah. all practical purposes, the two genders are equal. Yeah. But you don't see it where it matters. Because only 6% of the jobs in the U.S. Yeah. are STEM jobs. Mm-hmm. Yep. Most people have no idea what working in a technical field is like firsthand. As so they fall back on entertainment, as yep. the Gina Davis study says. Yeah, yep. that's so true. It's so I yep. get students that come to me that um, and we're going to get on the book, everybody. So hold on a minute. But this is so much fun for me to talk to Wolf about this because it's something I rarely ever talk about, except with my peers at work. But we get students that come to us that have very little, um, very, very little IT background, but they want to progress in the IT industry. And it's so comical to me to hear what their perceptions of the IT industry really is about. And I know it's being perceived by what they have seen on television or what they've experienced in movies, because when you've worked in the IT industry and then you're trying to explain it to somebody, it's completely different. So that's fascinating. Um, Let's talk about your book, because you guys can't see the video right now, but I do hope you go onto Wolf's website because you'll see what I'm talking about. You've created an absolutely um, amazing character. I'm I'm drawn to her. Um, But tell us kind of, I understand your your inspiration, but is this particular character off of somebody you know, or did she come up by it, by it, in your imagination? <laughs> it, 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 it's sort of. Um, I went to engineering school with 50 women. It was a fairly big school. Of course, at that size group, you have the whole diversity there. You know? So to me, that was normal. Mm-hmm. And then I find out in the job world, it's not so. My first programming job, there was one woman in the whole department, one. You know? And then you look at you said, that there aren't that many, as you said, there aren't that many representations of women mm-hmm. in tech on screen to begin with. Mm-hmm. And what is there is fairly biased. Because, Mm -hmm. of course, I mean, it's kind of understandable because if 80% of the population doesn't know what it's really like, why would Mm -hmm. writers, screenwriters, Mm -hmm. playwrights, Mm -hmm. teleplay writers know any better? Mm -hmm. So you Mm -hmm. go all the way back to Angelina Jolie in Hackers. (laughs) She runs around in pants, (laughs) T-shirt. And if you didn't get the message from the clothes, she loses a dare where she has to go on a date in a dress. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> then the Bullock in the, in the net. First scene where she appears, she sits around in men's clothes, literally men's clothes. Mm-hmm. Straight out. A totally gratuitous choice because when she visits her mother, she wears a dress, but you, 
you communicate these messages. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have 2020, fairly recently, Max Winslow in the House of Secrets. Turns out 10 minutes into the movie, Max is a girl. But guess who's got the biggest picture on the poster? It's a man. I mean, the marketing is so clearly biased. And of course, the girl with the dragon tattoo, you know, short hair. Even even Mr. Robot did a fairly poor job in that regard. How does his sister run around? Military guard boots. Mm -hmm. The message girls are getting is they don't belong. Mm-hmm. And there, there are a few series that try to counter that, probably best known Kim Possible. But what happens, Kim Possible farms all her computer work out to a nerdy boy. <laughs> yes, she's a cheerleader and all that. And there's yeah, a big yeah. romance component. But again, the message is, you don't belong there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when uh, I started the Cyber series, I was looking around for a character that wouldn't be cliché. Mm -hmm. And you absolutely cannot do that with men because every male type has been done, including the blind hacker using a teletype. Mm -hmm. But on the women's (laughs) side, you have all these one-sided presentations. Mm -hmm. There are some minor exceptions fairly recently, particularly in in 24. They, They made a point of showing different kinds of women with computers. Um, and um, uh, Halt and Catch Fire, which, again, was specifically written that way. But mm-hmm. they're not enough. You know, mm-hmm. Girls mm-hmm. get told every day you don't belong. We need more stories. We need more uh, role models that they do belong. So I finally settled on a girl who is unabashedly pink, I, and that I love that. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I do. And, and basically, it's still good at computers because why shouldn't she be? And it turns out that she looks like a woman I went to college with. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and, and that is partly deliberate because you know, when, when you're doing topics like this, you always get somebody saying, no, women aren't like that. Mm-hmm. And it helps to be able to say, no, I know they are. Some are like that because I know somebody like that. And that's all that is needed. I mean, never mind that, as I said, I had 15 women in my engineering class, which every engineering field nowadays is heavily computerized. And they picked that major. It's not like they just went into it and then said, now I have to learn computers. They picked that major and every, every type is in there. So it's just not true that women aren't good with computers. And in fact, think about the only blockbuster movie. I know if if you can think about this one. The only blockbuster movie that shows feminine women that are good with computers. There is one. I am trying to think of it. The only, uh, and if you hear my dogs in the background, I apologize, y'all. They, they want dinner, so they're off to get dinner. The only one that I can honestly think of that I've recently have seen was the, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was about the space um, engineering yes. program. And Hidden was, figures. Very and then, good. Yeah, and they were all the women that did all the computing. 
the mathematical computing. And, you know, that story was so brilliantly done and they did such a great representation that so many people came out and said, I had no idea that there was that many women and that many women of color that had so much involvement in our space um, program in the United States. And that, and I just couldn't remember the name of it. I love that movie. <laughs> yep. And, and again, they had all the different female types represented, mm-hmm. including mm-hmm. Janelle Monet. Um, if you look at the photos, yes, she was yeah. really that feminine because it's yeah. based on a true story. The yeah. reality is and totally a, different. A hidden true story. It was hidden yes. so long. Yes. And, and I think as a woman, which happens, I mean, this is such right up my alley. I'm glad that you were the one that got chosen to be on this podcast because I'm such an advocate for everybody, but I'm also advocate really for women to be in untraditional situations in their life and, and to be able to um, explore things that they've been told they shouldn't. So I applaud your work. I love it. Um, so thank you. I'm so glad you wrote it. Tell us a little bit now. Let's go back a little bit. So it's a series and you have more than one book, correct, in the series? Um, I'm working on the sequel. In fact, okay. I'll be reading from the sequel today okay. because it's going to come out this year. Promise. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> oh, no, fantastic. I get that. Trust me, I get that. So you have one book and it's called um, Cyber Spiracy. Cyberspiracy, which is a great play on cybersecurity, which I love. And so I'm guessing it's a bit of a mystery um, going on there, right? It's <laughs> technically quali- classified as a thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it is like, like most of YA, it, it mm-hmm. has mixed genres. So it's also romantic suspense. It has a oh, strong nice. romantic component. It's a coming of age story because she's a kid, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, they're, they're, it's also classified under bullying. And interestingly, mm-hmm. I get hits on Amazon on all these genres. Oh, that's so great. That's good. <laughs> you know, it, it, it touches the nerve of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I love YA books um, because, and I've talked about this with other authors that write young adult books. I feel like there's a large group of um, individuals that will read young adult books where they won't read maybe, and they're women or, you know, older um, men or because they don't really, young adult books don't really have all this spicy stuff in it that some other books have. And it can get right to the story, but there's still romantic elements in most of them. And the coming of age is one of my favorites. I just always love those. So, so, okay. So you alluded to the idea that you're self-published. So I'm assuming you self-published this work. Correct? Yes, I did. Okay. That's something that's always interesting to my um, listeners because I have listeners from all over that are listening at different stages of their own authoring career or they want to read only, you know, specific authors. So tell me a little bit about the journey with the self-publishing for you. Was it something that you chose to do or was it just how it happened to work out for you because of the content and because of, you know, what you're representing? Well, I for for starters, I miss the big self-publishing revolution. Um, Mark mm-hmm. Dawson, Joanna Penn. If you talk to them now, they'll tell you um, it's not like it was back then. It yeah. is now yeah. much harder to be noticed and visibility mm-hmm. and all that. And of course, U.S. Amazon is now up to eight million books. It's astonishing, isn't it? <laughs> yes. So you must basically drown in that. Yeah. Yeah. So 
initially I did try the um, the traditional route, but if you look at all the work you have to put in on your queries and pitches and all that, for almost no chance nowadays because every agent gets about a hundred queries a day. Mm-hmm. And you being a math man, you know. <laughs> Yes, the statistical probability of being picked up. <laughs> yes, so it, it, it is so much harder now. Mm-hmm. You get very little. In fact, I just read an article about this author complaining that her publisher doesn't take care of her backlist. They will not promote it. Mm-hmm. She has to promote it herself, and she still only gets like a dollar or two off every book sold. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Except for the big names, they don't give you any marketing support now. So Mm -hmm. at this point, going the traditional route, you're trading a lot of money for a Rolodex. Yes, they have. They know the people. They have the experience. They probably would have done a better cover because I made mistakes on the cover. Yeah. But I learned what my mistakes are and it's gonna get fixed in in the next cover and i might redo this one but so Mm -hmm. basically chasing a traditional deal costs an enormous amount of time Mm -hmm. just like self-publishing costs an enormous Mm -hmm. amount of time but there's so many resources now there's so many podcasts there's all these conferences and like ally Mm -hmm. the one that you attended Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. the conference is free for the first week yeah, so you you yeah. can get all this knowledge from international people because the virtual conference which they always do draws the top of the people from all these different fields that you can learn this stuff yeah, yeah. and there is a whole cottage industry dedicated to self publishing from that has true believers you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Companies like Draft to Digital, Kindlepreneur, David Chesum, they they are they really want to help mm-hmm. other authors. In fact, Draft to Digital was founded by authors who were dissatisfied with Amazon's tools and Smashwords tools, which are very hard to use. Ingram's tools are hard mm-hmm. to use. Mm-hmm. And I wish I would have found them beforehand because I published Cyberspiracy, so Kindle Direct Publishing at first. Yeah. And yeah. it took me two weeks oh. because KDP and Word do not agree. Oh, that's terrible, isn't it? It's such a challenge. Oh, yes. And, and this is coming from individuals that have a background in understanding a little bit of the technology. I thought it was going to be a breeze, right? I'm like, I can do this. I've learned <laughs> so much stuff on the on the IT background. I can do this. I was in the same boat uh, when I did my first, my book, I was like, why is this not easy? <laughs> this should be easier. <laughs> and see, that's what the draft to digital people said. And yes, then the, the first attempt wasn't that great. I know people that have used the first version mm-hmm. of the platform. It wasn't oh, that I good. I love draft to digital now. I, I think they're fantastic. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because four of the top people are all working authors. They create the tools that they want. And this is the really sad part. The International um, Publishers Association, IPA, puts out this checklist of what a good book should look like. Mm -hmm. 
anything that has rules like that, you can teach a computer to do. <laughs> so why is it that KDP makes the author do everything that's on that list? Including the, the thing that blows my mind is when Draft Judicial released their second a platform, the one that does all that for you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Amazon followed with Kindle Create a few months later, and Kindle Create still expects you to do most of the formatting yourself. When yeah. it is agreed in the industry that when you have a novel, you indent every paragraph by preferably half an inch in the US, except for the first line after the chapter beginning, or the first line after a scene break. Um, it's just, it's just, it's overwhelming, honestly. And that's where it kind of comes down to, right? Being yes. self-published can be an overwhelming process. And I think despite the amount of books that are out there that are self-published, it's so much work. And I think that's kind of the thing on both ends of it. If you're going to be an author, Traditionally published, you're going to be doing a whole heck of a lot of work <laughs> for yourself. If you're going to be doing it self-publishing, you're doing it by yourself, a whole lot of work. And um, I think for me, I like the self-publishing because at least I can say I'm in control of everything. <laughs> yes. And you get to pick, you don't have to argue with people about your cover. Yeah. You don't and have to design, argue with people yeah. about uh, story. None yeah. of it. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's not true anymore that self-publishing is hard. Mm-mm. Mm -hmm. um, well, there's great, there's like, just like you and I met on the conference, through the conference, like you've mentioned, there's so many great resources out there to help if people. you know them, and that mm -hmm. is the problem. Yeah. That's why yeah. I put on my blog, you know, I, I literally wrote a blog post, uh, the 15-minute recipe to, to self-publish for narrative, mm -hmm. to be fair. You know, narrative mm -hmm. is easy mm -hmm. to format, non-fiction, non-narrative, yeah. non-fiction non but if you have a standard novel, you can do it in 15 minutes through Draft Digital because their new platform, I have run a test document to it. They, mm -hmm. take, they fix the common errors that authors make in their manuscript for you. And you it's teach so, a computer so to do that. It. It's so worth it. So those yes. that are listening that aren't into publishing and you just wanted to hear about books, you, you just got a great insight of what us authors go through <laughs> when we have to decide which way we want to go, right? And so I love it. Um, so we'll, let's talk about this particular, your stories, because I, I know my listeners, like, I really want to hear the, the a little bit about the stories. So um, let's get you set up for reading your second, you're going to read the second um, book, but give us a little bit of background about the characters, what you want to share with us. And then I'll let you go ahead and launch into the reading. And I'm going to sit back and be quiet as you, and I'm going to experience this with my listeners just like they are. So set the stage for your story, kind of um, who we're talking about, and um, we'll go ahead and let you go into the reading. Yeah. So um, as I said, uh, even shows like Kim Possible had, very little effect on women in STEM. And my theory is um, that all these shows geared towards younger kids, preteens, 
they are highly unrealistic. I mean, Kim Possible can transport across half the globe in 10 minutes and has laser weapons and tanks and all that resources that no one can have. So she doesn't make a good role model. And by the time we get to the older fair, there is very little realistic other than hidden figures. No, it's just nothing that girls can latch onto. So I made a determined effort to make the story totally realistic, which I can do because I worked in just about every field in computing. In fact, my last job was in cybersecurity. So I was on the other side of the hackers. I know how it works. I know how many of them think. And so this story is supposed to be, well, it is realistic. The computing works the way it works in the real world. And she has to use her wits to solve this problem. And because she is essentially a very feminine girl, she doesn't like blood. So she cannot go and shoot people. You know, this isn't uh, a, a, a I mean, there, there's some violence in there because, of course, yeah, you have the bad guys killing people. But it is something that girls can say this really works. And she also talks about herself. Like she started her computer journey when she was three because her mom runs a tech company and took her to work. And got her a little desk and gave her her old laptop and said, you know, here, play with the games on there. And, and this is the thing. You, you ask people who have kids that young, they don't think they can't handle the computer. Five-year-olds are fantastic on the computer because they have no fear. They just go out and try things. So she does the same thing. She tries these things and discovers the spreadsheet on there. And like, oh, my gosh, this is like a square paper. You can draw on it. You can write on it. And then she finds out if she types in certain sequences, the thing does the work for her. And that is, that is, it, it, this is true life. This is the feeling that programmers get when their first program runs. It's like the heavens parted and a light came down. I mean, you have taught a machine to do something for you. The feeling is unbelievable and it never lets you go. And because she learned that at three, she never gave up on computers. Because even with all the bullying she experiences, which she does like every girl pretty much in school, she believed she could do it. And so she knows she can do it. She is a little bit arrogant about how much she knows. But it's basically, this is a role model that older girls, younger girls, and even young women can follow and relate to. And it is meant basically like hidden figures to give girls a role model they can follow, which is important because pretty much everybody agrees. Melinda Gates says that we lose the girls in middle school. <laughs> so, yes, the characters are a little bit on the childish side, but that's deliberate because I want her to appeal to preteens, 9, 10, 11, 12. Mm -hmm. But to, to have a realistic plot, unlike Kim Possible, 
she has to be older. She has to be 16 because mm-hmm. otherwise she can't go anywhere. She can't do anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. in, in the second book, she fly, uh, she, she, go, well, she doesn't, it, it takes place partly in other countries. In the third book, she actually flies around the globe. Yeah. So it was set up to, to kind of appeal to the entire age range and that you can grow with her kind of like Harry Potter without her having to start that young. Otherwise, it just wouldn't work. And, and that's how the character came into being, you know, a realistic role model. What, what is her name? Because I don't think you've mentioned her name yet. <laughs> um, her name is Kawabanga Dude. <laughs> and, and that is kind of a hacker thing. Yeah, yeah. That they are kind of peculiar about their real names. Oh, absolutely. Or anything no, I... <laughs> IRL, as it's called nowadays. Yes, yes. So you get to find out if you read the book, of course. Eventually, her name is revealed. Okay, well, don't tell us because I want everybody to get your book and find out. <laughs> okay, well, let's meet her. Uh, how about you share with these your readings so we can meet her and all get hooked and be buying your book? <laughs> okay. Cyber Furry, Chapter One, High Afternoon. I took a shooting stance, feet shoulder width apart, hand at the ready next to the tan holster. High Afternoon. Okay, I made up that phrase because we can't duel at high noon like in that old black and white movie. Not as easy to fight as in the old West. We have law and order here in Richmond, Conwells of Virginia, a part of the Old South. I did dress the part of a cowgirl, right down to the hat, not one with a giant crown like a cattleman or a Carlsbad. My five foot one and a quarter inches could drown in those. The kids in our club only know me by my handle, my hacker name, Kawabanga Dude. But like any lady, I wear a petite flat gaucho hat, matching my hot pink ponytail snatch. As in naturally, when you code programs all day, you obviously save characters whenever possible. Had to settle for a Halloween costume version in a paler pink, a paler color, but it came with cute white lace strung around the brim. Perfect for my white and blush dress. Hello Kitty couldn't stand prouder herding cats. No way around the ugly rawhide pouch and belt, however. Standard issue. Made things fair. Even Gigasploit, with all his daddy's money, couldn't buy a win. Would handicap the two girls even more against boys raced on horrible first-person shooters. Bad enough, the long belt hung low on my right hip, no matter how high I pulled the other side. Got used to it. Focus. Gig did his best Lone Ranger impression in a blue shirt, red hanky around his neck, and a white Stetson, a real one. No mask. He probably wanted to wear it. Age 15, he's the baby of the Ad Astra Hacker Club. Okay, I only have a year and two months on him, but the rest of our members aren't that childish. Most played hooky from college, me included. I know, I joined a hacker group in real life. Me, with boys, IRL, shooting it out. But surviving a hellfire missile in my secret mission for POTUS, the President of the United States, built courage. I could take on anyone. Almost. Fair fight. Gig and I stood equally tall. Not that size mattered here. Flex- flexing my fingers to warm them up did. My pinky joint crackled from the tension. I waited for the signal, ready to snatch the black grip. Maybe sweat ran down his face too. 
my gaze fixed on the area that counted. Our fearless leader, Moscow boy, handled the formalities. Ready? The bright halogen bulbs hanging from the warehouse ceiling added to the heat burning my chest. We couldn't do this outside. Never mind the cold and rain in April. He probably broke half a dozen laws, the anti-dueling statute included. Virginia outlawed them 200 years ago. Aim? The howling theme from the good, the bad, and the ugly haunted my head. I'd studied all the famous on-screen duels. One shot, one chance, one win, all or nothing. Calm down. Cold air filled my lungs and quenched the flames. Free your mind and your body will follow. Blankness took over. Fire! Quick draw, point, hold your breath, pull the trigger, yank the plastic pistol down to increase my chance of hitting something. Two laser beams shot across the smooth concrete of the loading dock. Almost simultaneous beeps announced both hits. The different angles of the light told the tale. The wannabe lone ranger next to me had chickened out, aimed for the safe area, and a low score. Victory. Standing tall like mommy taught me, I blew imaginary smoke from the tip of the barcode scan. Deputy Marshal Katie Earp always gets her mango. My Mark's womanship rivaled the Old West lawman famous for the gunfight at the OK Corral, but I couldn't really call myself wired. I handed the gun to Moscow boy. His fingers caressed the back of my hand. Just a light touch. Accidental, perhaps. Sparks raced up my arm and caused a jerk of withdrawal. Involuntarily perhaps. He checked the display. Gig's peachy, but CD nailed the mango again. We didn't shoot each other. Totally uncool and dangerous. A laser in the eye could mega damage, cause mega damage. This place had industrial strength scanners. They could hit the top pallet on a four-level rack if they'd fit. <laughs> Sorry. If they'd fit in this one-story building. Some manager bought a wet dream of expansion. When we discovered the soup kitchen closed after lunch, we kind of invited ourselves in. A worn-out lock on the skylight helped, so technically we didn't commit breaking and entering. We just borrowed the space for fun and games in person rather than only meeting online. It also let us take advantage of the inventory in the warehouse behind the storefront, but only as targets. No stealing from those in need or bothering anybody. Most of the square building held long metal racks and huge refrigerators full of foodstuff. A few windows let us see outside and allowed passersby to snoop. Fortunately, a lawn separated us from the street. Plus, we stayed as far in the back as possible where the aroma of oregano, garlic, and cornmeal summoned mommy's Italian-American aura to watch over me. Separated by the customary 20 short paces, each shooter faced a pyramid of stacked fruit cans with barcodes shown. Etches, including the seven-can base, consisted of pineapple topped with a solitary mango. Peaches made up the inner triangle with a single cherry center. The heart gave the second most points, 20, since a bad aim might still hit another fruit. Only the best risked shooting the surrounding air by targeting the head for 30. Those hitting the non-vital skin earned a measly five. Dragon, our second-in-command and official scorekeeper, added the results on his tablet computer. The legendary creature in his handle hinted at his Chinese heritage. He competed with me for best fashion sense. His tight black slacks and ankle booties would fit in at any hip New York City nightclub. 
Carvanga leads by 15. The app he coded showed the tally complete with colored fruit symbols for every hit making up the score. At Astra Hacker Club, Laser Camp Tournament, Kaobanga Dude 255, Moscow Boy 240, Dragon 225, Gigasploit 205. No surprise who led the rankings. I learned from the best spaghetti westerns. That and a lot of practice. Time to visit my babies. I need a break. A table held my laptop bag and a small tubular pet carrier. Don't leave home without them. In front sat my white double-walled plastic tumbler decorated with Hello Kitty stickers. Amazing how each duel parched my throat. I toasted and chucked the water like a fine barrel-aged whiskey. Tasted the same to me in my imagination. Don't know much about hard drinks. My fan club of boys surrounded me and complimented my score. Not sure how they really meant it. Both females in the club got a lot of attention. Gigsad left to Moscow Boy behind my back. They didn't get why I hung out in front of the huge refrigerators with polished steel doors. A paranoid girl needs her mirrors, and not just to check her mascara. The tongue-tied boys usually express their admiration with thumbs up or other gestures, but I could also eavesdrop by turning my head slightly. Moscow, because Lloyd's hushed words barely covered the nervous cracking of his knuckles. What's up, Gig? In preparation for the next duel, our leader wiped scanner pistols clean with a blue microfiber rack he brought from home. More hygienic and left no fingerprints. Just saying. Uh, are you two, uh, is she? I wish. She had some bad experiences with boys. The scanner joined its twin on the table. Are you interested? Even in the fuzzy reflection, Gig's red-faced silence could compete with the pale tomatoes left to right next to him. Moscow boy pointed at my fan club. Line starts there. It's complicated. I really liked our glorious leader. Tall, smart, debonair. Learned that from a romance novel. And so much older than me. 22. He had no idea MIT accepted me at only 16. With a generous donation from my parents, I could take all my courses online. No more bullying. Middle and high schoolers don't like the smartest girl in class. Police sirens invaded my non-romance. Visible through the glass door of the store, a black sport utility vehicle with flashing lights stopped at the curb. Two stereotypes in suits and sunglasses sat in front. Seen it before. Federal Bureau of Investigation. If the Phibbies only knew that they'd cornered kids playing fruity games. Code Red! Code Red! Dragon alerted all delinquents at the top of his lungs. Everybody rushed for the designated door or window. Leave it to our general to have planned out the most efficient escape for a dozen hackers trapped in this building. Moscow boy's hot hand pulled me toward our way out. Wait, my babies! I broke free and snatched the laptop bag and pet carrier. Clutching them close, I followed my knight in shining leather jacket to the side door. A glance out the small window showed the deadly flaw in his plan. He'd assigned us an exit next to the front entrance close to his BMW. Fifteen long steps in the line of sight of the two agents coming from the SUV. My punishment for his brain fog from many all-nighters hacking away at something. He wouldn't tell, and I'd never find out once we have separate cells. Moscow pulled out his remote starter. Seriously? Outrun the Phibbies and race them in his Bimmer? Don't get me started. Purists like him only call the motorcycles beamers. 
rattling noises came from the other side of the drywall. Not much protection against real bullets. Lucky break. Instead of smashing the locked glass door, the incompetent agents disappeared around the corner. No backup or guard to guard our escape route. Yay. We bolted into the open. Ten steps to go. Eight. The back door of the SUV swung open. Kabanga, dude! A familiar voice shouted my name. My heart went from 100 to zero in 1.4 seconds. He still did that to me. Derek? Could my relationship get any more complicated, please? My first crush shall remain banished from my mind. Then came Derek. Digital media director turned Stafford to POTUS. Aunt Mary. Enough said. I know how to pick him. To the deafening sound of my heart pounding in my ears, he leapt from the SUV and came over, my maybe boyfriend eyeing him with suspicion. Lovely. A jealousy drama where neither of the two knew the tingles that swept through me each time I saw them. Someday I'll tell one of them. Perhaps. Derek deserved the jab to his ribs. As a southern bell, I only elbowed out a polite nudge. You, make a heart attack. I'm sorry. It's an emergency. Once again, his crisis became my problem, with the two men now facing each other. Maybe an introduction could wipe away the awkwardness. My uh, friend, Moscow boy, leader of our hacker club. I then turned to my maybe boyfriend. Derek and I fought in the trenches of the presidential campaign. Too early in our relationship for more details. Dragon's Acre and two other cars sped out of the side street and off in different directions but a handful of kids on bikes and skateboards watched from a safe distance. Can we talk? Derek pointed to the SUV. I signaled Moscow board to stay back and took the remaining seven steps to my doom. Derek slammed the door shut. The president asked for you. His eau de cologne filled the small space, punching with a note of furthermore. Heidi? Why? Risking my life for my country once ought to suffice. It's so top secret, those guys will smuggle us into the White House. His thumb pointed through the darkened rear window at the agents trotting back to the car. Just like that. You didn't answer your phone. No pockets. I pointed at my dress. Even my moronic hero had to see women's reality. You're old enough for something more adult. Or maybe not. Pink isn't just a color, it's an attitude. And my boys found my clothes sexy. Not tonight. I brought you an evening gown. Size two, right? Something long and burgundy in a clear dry cleaning bag lay on the leather seat next to him. A gown? Obviously, sexy didn't count tonight. It's the White House. True. Mommy was expect me to show decorum in the press home. But last time I helped you, bomb and hellfire came down on me. Something a girl doesn't forget, or forgive, even for chocolates, which she failed to bring match. No comparison. It's all computer forensics work, perfectly safe. I don't know. My prior heroics earned me half a night's stay at a luxury hotel. Nothing more, other than the friendship of my idol, Katy Perry. Still, Heidi promised a pair of glasses as a reward. I don't need glasses. Very special glasses. Charma. Curiosity wouldn't kill this Katie cat, but I couldn't abandon Heidi in her hour of need. On my terms, though, I earned it. So I held up the pet carrier by its handle. Guinea pig eyes stared through the nylon mesh. 
Katie has to come along. She goes frantic without me. Separation anxiety. Seriously? Pink pet carrier, $15. Purple hair highlight, $6. Red face Derek, priceless. Bravo. I love it. I'm hooked. I, I think all of my listeners will probably be hooked as well. So, so listeners, make sure you jump on my show notes and look for uh, Wolf's website, because I'm sure as you're getting your second book published, you'll have that up on your website, right, Wolf? <laughs> well, I, I publish wide to, yeah. to okay. make it available as broadly as possible. So, and, and Draft the Digital makes it so easy. So, for, for a small commission, you can just push them out to all these sites and people yeah. can pick them up. And it's in bookshop.org in the print edition. And it's worldwide. I have fans. Well, not sure if I can call them fans, but I have buyers <laughs> in Canada. I have buyers in the UK, um, Australia. I don't think anybody has bought yet. But so it, it's as we discussed, if you know the right tools, it gets so much easier. and this makes this all possible now. So get the right tools. That's right. That's right. Well, I was going to ask you for advice, but you just gave it to us. For any of my aspiring authors that listen to this podcast, Wolf just told you to get the right tools. So there you go. So um, I have a list of them on on my blog, on my uh, self-publishing blog. So you can get the articles on formatting in 15 minutes and also a list of all the tools that I use or recommend. And um, if you really, really need to go that far, uh, thanks to the pandemic and a canceled presentation for which I did a lot of research, (laughs) I ended up writing a book, How to Simplify Self-Publishing and Save Your Hair, in case you can't tell. This is a wig. (laughs) This is not my natural hair because publishing cyberspiracy with Amazon really, I lost all my hair. (laughs) And draft the digital, it literally took Two hours done and draft the digital comes with 24 different themes, including the pink bow theme. Nice. Yes, (laughs) what you get with cyber spiracy and cyber furry. Yes, I Ping love pong. it. Fantastic. Fantastic, Bull Wolf. I'm so glad we met. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for all the advice. I'm looking forward to picking up a copy of your book so I can read them and keep them in my bookshelf for my young granddaughters that are coming up of age. So they'll enjoy them too. And so listeners, make sure that when you hear this podcast and um, let Wolf know you heard about him and his books on the on this podcast, we always love to know where we hear Um, people from. So we appreciate that. So Wolf, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Make sure you jump on the show notes and find the author, buy their books, write a review. And most importantly, you can find out more about me and my projects at one of my two websites, www.squishpin.com or theauthorslibrarian.com. And until next time, this is Vicki J. Carter, the Author's Librarian, signing off.